That sure is a pretty dress, Delilah. It's a pretty dress and perfect hair and makeup. And you even scrubbed and cleaned your nails. You'll draw the line at wearing those fake ones that Luca wanted to put on you. Because you're already quite uncomfortable enough. Thank you. But there you stand in front of the bank. With its high-rise towers and its copper-plated domes, you stand in front of the big spinning revolving doors as people go in and out. And this particular part of the street, well, it overlooks the Firth on a high bluff, about midway up on the east side. At any rate, the furthest to your back there is a retaining wall and several streets winding down to the water, but there in front of you stands the bank. You have a demure pocketbook with some tools in it, a few concealed weapons inside of this dress, which doesn't fit like working clothes, yet somehow has three knives on it. You can get to them. The third one isn't going to be easy, but, you know... If we're going to get to the third knife situation, things have gone wrong anyway. Right. Also, you don't know how anybody breathes with this much structure in their underwear. Anyway, um, so, you know, you take out your compact, give yourself a quick once-over, all is well, and there across the cobbled street are the offices of the copper-domed bank, which you suspect is where Despard would be holding Ursa, over to you. Delilah straightens her fascinator so the feathers will quiver for just the right effect if she has to get emotional, and makes her way up the steps, looking slightly stricken, but brave and purposeful. There is a handsome young orc of about 25. He's tall and square-shouldered, narrow-waisted, and big-footed like all the orcs are, and he wears the security officer's uniform of the bank with pride. Uh, at his belt, there's a big truncheon, not the traditional kukrat of uh, orcish kind, but, uh, you know, he's clean and well-scrubbed and very big and strong, and as you walk in, in his big, booming voice, he says, ma'am, holds a side door for you. Inside the lobby, the bank is a monument to industry. There are wickets in a big U-shaped, in a big U-shaped pattern all around the room and behind it, behind the tall fences of wrought iron. You can see all of the people of all the different kinds buzzing about the business of finance. People sit back behind the barrier between the public and the bank staff. Some of the people are the public in there speaking to bank managers at their desks. The whole thing is big and cavernous. And when you tilt your head back, not only are there great big electric chandeliers, Delilah, um, there are still halfling people hanging from like Bolson's chairs. Do you know what that is? It's the swing that they use to clean the barnacles off the side of a ship, which is also used to like clean, which was also used to clean early office windows and um, like a stage, but only for one, right? Anyway, they're sitting in these Bozen's chairs, um, holding on to 
various brushes and things with their toes while they paint up above their heads. And the whole ceiling is illuminated like the sky with the constellations. This is the first bank of Bailey Mina, and it has millions and millions of dollars in a vault underneath it. Over top of it, it has records for almost all of the city's finances. It is a big deal. And while you walk in, your heels click clap across the, mar the marble floor. There's all the dinging and clicking and rattling of adding machines and people talking in low murmurs. Over there in a pot is an entire palm tree, which, you know, wouldn't look out of place outside, uh, but looks kind of small in here. It never fails to amaze you how much bigger a plot of space looks when you put it indoors. After surveying the room, Delilah makes her way to a line to get in. While she's still keeping her eyes out. And, you know, probably futzing with your purse a lot and, you know, adjusting your hair and doing the things that, you know, people at the bank do. You know, not to seem nervous, just, you know, the, when you're out in public and that sort of thing. And it gives you a chance to look around, and so I'm going to give you advantage on a perception roll. Uh, with advantage, that's a 13. Well, you're looking around and uh, checking checking the bank uh, out and just having a look at things and looking at the painting on the ceiling. And when you look to your left... There's a gentleman there. He's wearing an expensive suit, a three-piece suit with a very good linen shirt and a very highly starched cotton collar. He wears this with a cravat. The waistcoat is as understated as the suit, but they both just reek of money. And he pastes a $100 smile on his face, looks you straight in the boobs and says, Hello, miss. Can I help you? Yes. I was told that you would have the appropriate paperwork for the charity I wish to start. Yes. Um, well, no need to wait in line. Why don't you come back here and we'll sit down and talk about it. So he takes you back behind the, uh, he, he takes you back behind the wickets and uh, into the desks and you go, you know, Obediently toddling along behind him, pretending not to notice all the winks and things that the guys at the desks are given because, uh, you know, Luca picked this dress absolutely perfectly. Nobody can see you in it, Delilah. They're too busy looking at you to see you. Anyway, you get back to this huge desk with a big leather chair and a leather top desk. It's uh, scaly, like the height of a crocodilian. And he sits back at his desk. There's a window probably 30 feet and four desks away. The sun's beaming in on it. And, you know, it's it's kind of the camera takes a, a low angle from close to the floor. And Delilah's in silhouette. And this guy sits forward with his well-lubricated fatness of wealth. Leans on the table and knits his porcine fingers as he smiles at you with his slightly jowly features. You think he's mostly human, although there's a lot of dwarves in banking, right? So this guy might have some dwarven blood, probably does by the look of him. No, he's got five fingers, he's a human. Just 
that sort, I guess. Delilah is also seen in silhouette. She is elegant and lovely. Back to you. Delilah sits down primly and smiles a little nervous. So what do I need to do? I, I'm new here, and I believe there's a lot I could do to help. Well, um, Mrs. Ardren. Mrs. Ardren, um, we have all kinds of different sorts of charities. Are you a for-profit charity or a not-for-profit charity? Are you? Who are you hoping to back with this charitable venture of yours? Obviously, I couldn't help but notice that you're a very well-appointed lady, which means that you must have some means in need of guarding, and if we here at First Bailey Mina can help you in any way with that, we'd be more than happy to. And he paints a great big smile on, and like he's almost managing to look like he's looking at your eyes. Oh, well yes, we, we would be not for profit. Oh, that's unfortunate, but not everyone is ahead for business. Of course. I'll get the forms and we'll get started. With that, he goes up and waddles over about ten feet and starts whispering pointedly at a half-elven girl who has, like, four stacks of paper on her desk and is, like, peering through these half-moon-shaped glasses at small crabbed hands, like, small crabbed hand script in tiny little columns as she's trying to enter it into an adding machine to get the figures out to the end of the day. She looks up at him kind of annoyedly, raises her eyebrow, and then uh, stands up and bustles off to the filing area. Your um, friend then goes over and pours two glasses of water from a crystal jug, which sits sweating on top of a filing cabinet about three desks away. In the meantime, you're going to roll another perception check. That's a 19. That's somewhat better. So as he passes over the water, you realize you've got about 30 seconds before he gets back. You look, and uh, the security here is not immediately visible, which is impressive. The big orc up front, that was it, the one guy, right? It looks like they have one guard on, but no, there are a lot of these clerks who aren't doing any clerking. They're watching. But they're not talking to anybody. Their, their eyes aren't on their paper. They sit at a desk and they just survey a quadrant of the room. It's eight of them. They're all pretty good. Now, if you had to guess, they might be Quinn Hitar. Because those guys are expensive. And the ones you're looking at are really unremarkable sorts. Men and women. They're just... Yup. They're there. They're filling out suits, but... Let's go with Arcana this time. Rolled an 18 for a total of 18. High-grade mumblers on them. That's what it is. It's the mumbler spell. The somebody else's problem field? Don't look here. There's nothing to see, right? And then you realize the whole room is babbling with these thomic resonances. And there is not just eight security fields in effect, but 800 they overlap double redundantly. The place is so thick with security spying magic, like invisible magic eyes whipping around and surveying every micrometer of the place at all times and recording it to a great, probably recording it to a great big gem somewhere on the premises. But where, right? Looking up, all of those electric chandeliers are cut crystal, and uh, the gems could be any one or all of those. 
or they could be somewhere else. Insight, please. 21. Well, this is not the best security in Bailey Mina. That's at the casino. And then the proconsul's residence. And then here, the degrees of difficulty are fine enough that it's still master class. Mrs. Ivan. Yes. Yes, those uh, chandeliers are lovely, aren't they? Oh, yes, they're so sparkly. Yes, they're cut crystal from the far in the north. They were, uh, they're the best, I'm told. And they, well, when you come by in the winter, you should see how they throw the light. It's just beautiful. Sometimes the sun catches them and the room is full of rainbows. You wouldn't believe it. And then he drones on for five redundant minutes about the cost of doing business and this and this and this. And you know what? This guy is exactly as big a thief as you are. He just doesn't work for it. Like he's fat for the trade. And if he wasn't part of a bank, he'd be part of the guild for sure. Because the way he uses these words, they're as deft as the knives or the cons or the heists or anything that comes out of the guild. The difference here is that the guild is a criminal organization with professional standards. And this is a criminal organization with government backing. Fortunately, Delilah is used to swallowing this kind of anger, and so she continues to, and uh, looks over the forms if he has given them to her. The forms are partially filled out when he gets them to you. And he goes prating on and on and being very leering and shit. And uh, you look at the forms and quickly read them. And they say, Miss Delray, this is an honor. And I'm sorry, but I have to keep this cover up or my master will whip the skin off me. Master Despard is no longer using the attic. Please don't stay here a minute longer than you have to. All of the censors have seen you. With love and respect and always for the guild. And then he's his sigil. She manages to look mildly offended down at the forms and says, Well, thank you, sir, but I won't take any more of your time. I must get my husband to look over these. Yes, I'm sure it's a thing that uh, is quite beyond you. Go ask him. That's a good idea. Let me show you the door. And as you're walking to the door, he looks over and he says, Now that painting there is a Morsquidane. And you're like, Morsquidane? Okay, right. And then you switch into talking, you switch into Thieves' Camp. And he's like, well, 12 will get you half a dozen of those, which is like, honestly, I'm, I'm thrilled to meet you. Uh, how can I help you? She smiles and says, oh, I think just one would be fine, which of course means thanks, but I think I've got what I need. Absolutely. Mrs. Ardren, if you ever have any need, my name is Gold Age. Edgar Goldhitch, you come back and see me any old time, and I will take care of that charity and any other accounts you want. May I ask the pleasure of a handshake? And as he gives you the guild handshake to let you know he's legit, please remember my name to your good husband and get home safely. The spinning door starts to spin again and you walk through it. Welcome to Runelanders, the world's greatest curated 5th edition 
Dungeons and Dragons, a retro futuristic fantasy epic. I think now is a good time to mention that it's no coincidence that our logo is a big red R. So, before you get too much further, understand that this show contains adult content in the form of darker themes, sexual content, references to drug use, and coarse language. Now, we don't beat these topics over the head, but we don't shy away from them when they come up either. We use a fairly robust set of safety tools when recording these adventures. This is yours. Use your judgment. If that sort of thing is your bag, well then, sit back, kick back, chill out, and relax. And as you prepare to lend an air, dig, if you will, this fractured fable of a felonious fellowship's forays through the suave salons and sinister saloons of Byzantine Bailey Mina, the city of steel and steam. Thrilled to the adventures of this criminal cadre as they climb to notoriety and beyond, will they remain merely outlaws or... Will they become true villains? Well, I could tell you, but it's more fun if we show you. We're the Runelanders. This is Rapscallion, so get ready, Runatics, and let's roll. You're out in the gardens, listening to a violin concerto. You know, just walking along and enjoying yourself, taking in the afternoon. This place, Juniper Hill, it was Juniper Hill. That gunshot from a couple days ago. You remember what it was, uh, well, this, uh, this didn't used to be the Violet Villa, you know? It seems in the end that's always the way that these sorts of properties change hands. Like, it's way different than it used to be. The statuary is all gone. Granted, that was always Juniper's idea and never yours. But then again, Juniper was always one of your better creations. But now this place seems to have resolved itself into the Violet Villa, home of the Violet Vicomtesse. So you're listening to this violin concerto, eating a tangerine. When you turn a corner in the topiary maze and come face to face with yourself. Hello there. You're right, Nari. I would have thought you'd have gotten rid of that new fella. He's quite distasteful, and we've had quite a problem with him over the years, if you'll recall. Which new fella? Let's not be fucking coy with it, Nanny, this bookie man, mate. Oh, he is a bad influence, isn't he? Sure, and what are we going to do now when we get... Like, you are taking me back to Bailey Mina, right? It's not really my department, to be honest. If Galloglass finds out I'm even talking to you, he's gonna twist my fucking head off. I don't got time to fuck with you, Natty. You've got room, and I'm not staying fucking here. Come on, mate. Plans are in motion. 
It's bloody good to hear. I've missed you. Where have you been? I've been well enough, I suppose. You like some tangerine? I don't mind if I do. Thanks very much. And seriously, plans are in the works. And also seriously, it's it's not my department. Well, being as how you're the boss, isn't everything kind of your department? Not anymore, it would seem. It appears Ziva has taken over management. It certainly looks like it. I couldn't be prouder. Are you sure of that, mate? Not even a little, but I'm running with it for now. Because we're there stepping into the boss lady role. She's fully embraced her place in the Trinity. You know that a triangle is the strongest thing we know of. Nothing will break it. That's why the Empire uses it in all of its sacred architecture. So, three sides. That doesn't include you at all, does it? And what happens around there to things that aren't included? Now, you don't have to listen to me for any reason whatsoever. I'm sure you're well aware of that. But, you better unbalance that triangle, mate, before you lose her forever. As a clever sort with a knack for making faces, I would think easier to stay included. Are you picking up what I'm throwing down here, mate? I think so. I'll have to run it by my sister, though. It is her wedding, after all. Oh, come on, Natty. Don't run it by her. She's already the Violet Vicomtesse. You watch. Give it all to her. She won't give it back. Charlie, you must see it. Juniper's gone. I'm the warlock of bloody Cairn. And you've got that boogeyman nicely wrapped up. But... Oh, you've still got another side of your left, don't you, mate? Do you see what I'm saying? I don't think I'm following, though. Nari, you've got an extra spot. The Violet Vicomtesse is to get married, right? But, well, all it says is that a marriageable Violet Vicomtesse, right? That appears to be the contract. Well, you've got room. Fuck's sakes, man, you can't be that obtuse. Draw a pair of tits and get fucking married, and then leave her here holding the bag. When we all go home. Doesn't entirely seem honest to me. Nari, you're a fucking lawyer, mate. What's honest about anything with you? Karen, where the fuck are you? Listen. Got a big party to get to. Don't be out here chin-wagging with your friends. Fuck off. With the apologies said, I'll, I'll see to your arrangements right away. And with that, Jonfrith looks at you and raises an eyebrow. Think about it, would you? And then he goes away. Galaglass watches him go. Turns to you goes, Hard <laughs> to find good help, isn't it? Just have to do it yourself, I suppose. 
Yeah, well, you know, never been as good as you were at it, I gotta say. Wait, didn't think I noticed? Um, good help. It's impossible to find. Yeah, so look it. You can be an immortal figure of legend and myth. Just come back. It ain't the same without you. You can send all them back. Your sister will be fine. And they won't even notice if we send Kern instead of you. But Nari, nobody's got your panache. Nobody's got the style. Nobody else is my best friend. Make a will save with disadvantage, Nari. That is a ten. Arabet. Yes, sir. Shoot this fucking ogre right now and make it a sneak attack. He has no idea you're there. Okay. Well, I definitely hit 26 damage. So, he's right, you know, like, fuck, you, you really are nothing without him. There's no way that... And, and then there's, like, this sound of... And then he's dead. Just like that. Your best friend in the whole world. The only friend you've ever had, actually. Like, let's face it, man. You were a weird kid growing up. A half-breed. The human kids never let you in. And you're too poor to ever have met a full-blood elf. Right? It's a fucking joke that anybody of your low breeding should have gotten into Starkweather and Fair. You're a fucking fluke. Galaglass didn't care. He was your only friend in the world. As you look up, there's just like the, this fucking haze of heat and like just such a, there's a blur in the air. There's something there. It's something spiritual. So you reach out into your mystic inventory and it's some, something just to smash and kill this thing and make a wisdom save, please. That is a 22. An Arabet comes out of the mist, and the ogre Galloglass, who had enslaved you for so fucking long, is dead. You're not exactly sure if he's going to try to kill you or not, Arabet. There's a look on his face like he's not sure if he's going to cry or or jump for joy, right? So, like, the boulders, your boulders don't run out of ammo. That's a good thing. because. For just a second, the warlock of Kern comes back to Nari's features. Then he breathes out. He's just Nari again. I pull out my rapier. You know, Nari, a friend doesn't tell you what to do. You okay? The insidious grip of Galloglass's magic releases its hold on your mind for a minute as the ogre sinks into the grass. Give me a moment. It will be. So, yeah, he's he's down for the count? Or what's... Uh... It looks like Arabet shot him twice in the back of the head. Like the last couple of 
twitches and shakes are going out of this giant chunk of meat and bone, which is now kind of laying face down on the nicely manicured turf of the hedge maze. I think I know what's going to help me deal with this. I'm going to uh, rummage through my satchel, get out a nice uh, quill, dip it in my ink, and put a mustache on Galaglass. Arabet, roll a perception check. Fifteen. Okay, so Nari's like, he gets this look on his face. He's wearing that, let's not forget that snidely whiplash mustache that Ziva put on him, which he hasn't noticed to take off. And uh, sure enough, Galloglass steps out around the corner behind him. Good shot. I was expecting you. Yeah, I know. So, what do you say, Nari? I mean, your sister's cute and all, but I don't think I'm her type. You know you belong back in Kern. I think this might be a fellow to try a banishment on. Do you want bad news or good news? Yeah, save uh, my spell save is 15. Let's, let's get the bad news. It turns out that the Oni has a plus five on its charisma save, and that, that's, that's, that's fucking terrible. The good news is that he rolled a nine, so it's a 14. So as you raise your hand and make an elder sign, Galaglass's expression takes a puzzled look, and then with a blip, he is gone. You turn to look where the body was, and it just fades from view. I'm never going to get used to your ooginess, man. Like, how... Okay, you got some pretty nimble fingers, Arabet, but how Nari managed to cross his pointer and little finger like that between the spread of his middle and ring fingers while doing a figure eight with his thumb? Like, you have no idea how he managed that motion. But he did, and it made the ogre disappear. Just like... Gone. We should probably go. He'll probably be back. Yes, we should get the hell out of this maze before something else steps out. I... I think I may have figured out a less buggy way to ascend if you'd care to or we could just run on the on the ground if you'd rather let's just run tally ho right so you get appropriately dressed to show up at the family business and you are let in to Layla's offices, where her secretary, who's a great big Nordic bugger, in great shape, handsome as anything, not too bright. Chris Hemsworth in Ghostbusters. <laughs> I was say, Kevin! I've missed Kevin! Why not? His name is Kevin. 
please tell me he's got a saxophone somewhere in there. Absolutely. He likes to play it out on the balcony when the sun goes down at night. But, you know, that's just his sensitive side, and not too many people know that about him. In fact, he only showed you the one time because he thought that you guys really kind of bonded over that those beers. But, you know, the way you were laughing at him like that, he's he's kind of never done it again. But he's terrible at it, too. It's so cheesy. Okay, well, he's not a great administrator. We'll put it that way. You know, but your sister keeps him around because he can get things off the high shelves and he's not hard to look at. So you get in there, he's like, oh, hi, can I get you a beer? Yeah, all right. Here you go. He's have a, have a, yeah, all right. Hands you a glass of local craft beer and you wait for your sister. And then, like, the door opens with a click at a certain time. You walk in and she's sitting there all saturnine and beautiful and you know, stretched out in a different dress than she was wearing this morning with the with the background of the clouds and the blue sky and a couple of sky ships behind her with that big rectangle window that occupies the whole far wall of her office. It's ostentatious. And it's on level 103, so it never gets any cloud. As you walk into the office, she's sitting with her the back of her chair turns, and she turns to you and that whole, you know, dramatic thing and hits her best angle. She goes, oh, Shakir, thank you. Uh, Shakir will um, take the mug of beer that Kevin gave him and, like, set it on her desk, not on a coaster. It's probably still full because she doesn't drink, but. She looks at the beer, reaches over, picks it up, and puts an envelope underneath it. The envelope contains Dugan's paycheck. Without getting up, your sister looks at you and says, I understand that you're bereaved, Shakir. I got the news this morning. And I'm glad that at least nobody saw you bring that woman into your apartment. But come now. Who are her people? You're bereft, of course, but that's no reason. To act like an uncivilized person. Her voice has changed. She's not using her public school accent. I know you will not believe me, Layla, because you never do. She, I did not bring her home. I'm not entirely sure how she found me, but she did. I took her and escorted her to her buster home. And then I came home alone. And then she knocked on my door. Things on the street will always follow a rich and handsome man home, Shakir. But enough of her. I'm not concerned about her. Your comrade. He was delivered this morning. How should we... Proceed. Do you know his people? That was one of the things I was trying to deal with today. I know of his people. I was attempting to do what I could to make contact. Then I won't keep you any longer. If there's anything I can do to comfort you or help you in this time of need, 
all you have to know is that I am here for you. We are family, Shakir. But lately, I get reports of you fighting in dive bars. You abandon the girls that I introduce you to. Shakir, you know how much our family values family. Yes, and while I am always grateful for the consideration and the leniency that you give me, I am not a stud horse to be breeding stock. My relationships are my business. I would appreciate if you would at least show some respect for my judgment. You are better than that, Layla. I would expect that from the others, but not from you. I know what I see, Shakir. I see a man who is torn apart since he has gotten back from the conflict. I see a man whose best friend is not one of his own kind, but someone that he brings back as a curiosity. I see a man who remembers what was and lives there and searches for adventure like a young man. Well, a young man who seeks adventure often finds it with his death. Shakir, do you remember? Have you forgotten the teachings of the prophets? Obviously you have, living in the north like this, without gods, without any sort of guidance. Shakir, don't be like this, these northern barbarians. You run around, you live like they do, without consequence. You always have. I can't trust your judgment. I can't trust your actions until you start acting like a proper human being and not like one of these northerners who just does what they want as they want, who doesn't understand family or commitment or what the work of generations is. Do you understand where I'm coming from? All of the things that you threw off that I took over for you. All of the things that you never bothered to understand, Shakir. You're a man of this family. You have a duty to bring more family to your name. I'm sorry. I thought I was here to speak with my sister, not my father. Sound... It has been some time, Layla. I did not realize that you had completely fallen in with the rest of the family. Her eyes turned to fucking stone with that. I see. I know you're upset, Shakir, but don't say things you can't take back. Know me well enough. I have no talent for lying. I have no talent for deception. I am what I am. And since <clears throat> your uh, comment, Dugan was not a toy from, from afar, from some other place. He was my kind. He was a soldier, as was I. He and I shared more and experienced more together and more kinship than ever I felt with any of the Ascaris, aside perhaps from you. And now I am beginning to question that. 
From behind you, there is a door that opens and closes, and you hear Tatsinov Shakir. Leila, you are dismissed. Yes, Anna. I am sorry, I tried. At once, Leila. And your father walks into the room. And what can we say about him, right? Like, there's no fucking around. He's a corporate raider, and he has no mercy, you know? Your father is devoted. There is no doubt of that. He would cross the world to bring you a glass of water, but would let a thousand people starve on the way. Very, he has been as supportive as he can be of your... career. But if he's come to talk to you, there's some shit on the line. Shakir. He says. I hear you talk to your sister. Would you talk to me like that? Oh, Father, I have said it all already. If you did not listen to me then, you will not listen to me now. Oh, I heard you. You think that since I went home to Accordia, left your sister in charge, that you can do things as you want. I hear all of the reports, Shakir. I told Leila to say all of those words she said to you. This is why you correctly deduced that those were my sentiments, not hers. She would have let you continue on happily the way that you had been for years and years. It only profits her. It embarrassed me. But I give your sister one chance to turn your heart. One last chance to turn your heart, because I am a merciful man, but I hear the way you speak to her, you do not listen to what you are commanded. What kind of soldier are you? You are a soldier of the North. That is the kind of soldier you are. And so, Shakir, you are a Scari no longer. You have made your choice to hang all around and spend your time and give your devotion to foreigners who will share no blood with you. You turn your back and scorn your duties to those who are. Goodbye, Shakir. You were my son and I will miss you. In 48 hours, that which you have to use is yours no longer. Do you understand me, Shakir? You are disowned. With that, he just turns his back on you. Father. He turns and looks at you. He doesn't say anything. Did you ever consider that me being what I am now is because I know it is what is best for our family? I am not you. I would never be you. My battlefield is not the boardroom or the business. I would be a poor leader for our family and for that which you and my ancestors have built up. Shakir, you know that I brought the sword. You know that your mother 
is the one who built the business. You know that my duty was to go home and have the children. I told you this, I must have. If I didn't, then I've done you a disservice, but your soldiering is done. It is time for you to go home, make family, and let your sister make us all rich. She's the better for it. But this danger that you seek all the time, you turn these proper women away, Shakir, all the time. I can't. We can't have it. It's Shakir. My son, I cannot turn you out. You make me so angry, you know. But I can't have this. Go get it out of your system, Shakir. And come home when you're ready. Until then, I can't support you. See, Shakir, this is all I can do. All my honor can bear anymore, Shakir. You drink, you hang around, you fight with these, these barbarians. You risk your life in dirty clubs beneath your dignity. Fighting for these things, you break my heart terribly. I cannot turn you away because you are my son. But I cannot look at you now. You must leave me, please. Understand, Father. I apologize for any shame I have brought on you. And he walks over across the room. His eyes are brimming. He holds her face in his hands. He, pre and he presses his forehead to yours. And like there's this, this awful regret, you know, like he knows that he's taking away. The, he's, try he's told you. That, you know, like, you know how angry he is at this. But you also know that he kind of gets it, you know? There's a feeling when he, when you, when you make physical contact. Like, he touches your face, you grab his wrists. Foreheads are pushed together. You get a sense like he gets it. And he made this decision once and it ripped his guts out at the time. But he wound up with you. And all of that is communicated with the moment that you press your forehead to your father's. Shakir, you must come back to us. I understand. I will tell your mother she won't be happy, but... One year, Shakir. Make it worth it. Farewell, Father. Farewell, Shakir. This is Lord Indigo. The greatest sorcerer in all of the dreaming. His magics are deep and profound and esoteric, and he knows the many secret hidden names of the dead gods and much other esoteric besides. And if you should wish to learn the craft of wizardry, you should find no greater teacher than he. For he is the greatest wizard in Belmenach, and has told you endlessly for fucking hours about it now. She is developing a mental list of the spells she would like to use him in on him, and in what order. Uh, and she's been entertaining herself by changing up the order in which she uses them. Like, really, he's got a great fucking laboratory. This thing is tip-top, well-appointed, well, pr well appointed, 
and like pin clean. Really, Primus doesn't do this good a job. I would have a fucking blast in here. Yes, and if you, like I said, should you wish to really start studying the craft of wizardry, I mm -hmm. would be overjoyed to teach you, for instance, behold, with a flick of my eldritch might, I reach across the dimensions and summon for your edification from the deepest, darkest heart of the abyss, the demon Wait, what? In the circle, there's a little point of light which turns black and inky and wet. And then, with a gush, you haven't seen him in fuck, you don't know how long. But there they are. Your boo. Sitting in the circle. I knew some. And the demon of oh, no, darling. Oh, baby. It's been a while. Are you still angry at me? No, I miss you so much. Oh, I'm sorry. One second, yes. Who is this exactly? Oh, he's one of those like nobles of Fae trying to marry me. Zulgrubwilm's form draws itself up into its priestly sort of pose with its head slightly tilted and fingers steepled in front of its chest and says, Hmm, a noble affair. Oh, how impressive. Darling, well, what is keeping you, I wonder? It's been forever, my love. And I'm sorry, I'm terribly sorry for the way that I've lost my uh, temper with you. Can you ever forgive me? She goes running right into the circle and just throws her arms around them. The grand swell of music, there's this... We can't see this. Like, honestly, I can't put this on camera. There are standards. We We have an R rating, after all. Right? But, uh, <laughs> but then, like when the when the camera comes back, Ziva's just all covered in splotches. That beautiful pale lavender dress you were wearing—that's almost white. It's so so very faintly purple—is now covered with all these ink spots and handprints, and and uh, like she pulls herself <laughs> out of the circle and wipes her mouth off. And, wow. and so, yes, I'm. I'm and Indigo's like, I, I've never been so insulted. You are to marry me. I'm sorry, excuse me. Well, okay. So there's this arrangement where, like, I'm supposed to marry somebody uh, to bring, like, peace and stuff. So I've just been going around meeting everybody and seeing what was going on. And she uh, kind of beckons over and leans in and, and, and whispers very quietly into Zul's ear. Yes, I see, darling, of course, yes. Um, you demon will do as you are bid. I summoned you to entertain her. Now entertain her. Yes, I suppose I must. 
Do I? Uh, would you like to hear something funny, darling? <laughs> of course. All right. And then, like, there's this horrible screaming noise, and I'm not going to show this either again to preserve our R rating. And, uh, you know, when the camera does go back, Zool Girlblob is slinking back into its circle with a whole pile of Count Indigo twisted into various shapes on the floor and uh, mashed in with a chair. There's a low and pitiful moan from this heap. And Zul Groveworld goes, I don't bloody blame me, it's not my fault. You can't tell a fucking joke, mate. That's <laughs> it. We're gonna cut to the front gate where the delegation from Kern is arriving with the Duke. Waiting at the gate is um, Nari the Violet Warlock and Arabet. I'm the Ultraviolet Warlock. You certainly are wearing enough purple. Both of you, in fact. This is because there is no other fucking color in any wardrobe anywhere, and even the clothes you brought here once you launder them come back purple. How about my, uh, my, my makina. Well, the wooden parts of you are still wooden colored, but there is a lovely violet luster to the steel and copper parts, you know. It's reflective. Nice. The carriage rattles up and stops at the gates. The Duke dismounts from the carriage, walks up to the door, looks across the threshold where Nari is standing and says, Well, that was fucking dirty. I can't believe I forgot how you can do that. Anyway, I'm back. And just in time. You know, fuck you, little man. You piss me off. But I understand you fucked with Doyle. Yes. Is that true? That's true, is it? Well then, my friend. There's nothing worse I could do to you. Now, if you don't mind, oh, Warlock of House Violet. I'll be resuming my suit of your sister. I believe they're on the lawn. Slightly behind him, Nye. You can see the Warlock of Kern. Who looks rather embarrassed because he should be out here speaking Warlock to Warlock. However, it appears that you've gotten under Nuke's skin. Yeah. Do you wanna... Do you wanna just uh, maybe keep it verbal from now on? Sure thing. Then enjoy your stay. Excuse me. And with that, Duke Galaglass goes back to remount the carriage. But as he passes the Warlock of Kern, he gives him a backhanded cuff to the side of his head. Kern staggers a few steps before regaining himself walking up to the threshold of House Violet. 
All right, Nari. Kern? Or is it Jobsworth? Well, I'm hoping it's Jobsworth, mate. How have you got... Have you got a way for me to come home with you? I'm not fucking staying here. Seven years you put up with this asshole. Yeah, it was work. I dare fucking say, mate, I'm not fucking up to it. If you don't mind, I'd rather come and chase the valets around and make sure the bottles are stuck. I'm a simple man, Nanny. Well, the good news is I do believe my household will have a job opening when I return, so you're welcome to apply. And why was that not the first fucking thing out of you? You're the real boy, I suppose. If that could be said about you anymore. Nari, is that even your name? Hmm? Or has she had her way with you for so long? You're not even the same boy you came here as. Tell you something, mate. If it was up to me, I wouldn't leave you here. But I'm not sure you're you anymore, so maybe we're all better off. And he turns around and starts walking back towards the carriage. Nari, I need you to make a... Hmm... Intelligence save. 17. Arabet looks at Nari with a sideways glance. Now, Arabet, I need you to make a perception check. 22. Okay, so Nari catches you peeking at him and manages to, well, okay, Nari, you notice Arabet looking at you and realize that Jobsworth, Jobsworth is getting under your skin. Um, maybe you're focusing a little more highly on him because your ear is feeling a little loose. And for a second, uh, Arabet the pigment drops out of Nari's hair halfway down his ears, like the skin of his ears. His hair turns white, and so does his skin halfway down his ears before he kind of... You see, like, it's, it's, a, it's like a momentary flash. It looks like, like, like a glitch, but you're sure you saw it. Excuse me. Oh, I, yes, Arabets. What could I do for you, mate? If you come back with us, it'll be up to me. <laughs> I won't be riding with you. So, no, you won't. with respect, but it whether won't you be come back to you. Oh, yes. In many ways, it will. Not just me, though. It'll be everyone. This is what you have to understand. We came here as a team, and we'll leave as a team. You want to join that team? Start being a team player. Well, it's not up to me, is it? I didn't... Uh, I wasn't even speaking to you, really, but... Uh, it, it isn't up to me at all, Arabat. Have fun. And with that... annoying fucking smile, he gets back in the carriage and the carriage rattles through the gates. Yeah. Up the drive. With that, you and uh, Nari are alone, walking up the driveway to the house you know nari 
Your staff is really fucking annoying. So, when last we left, Shakir, you'd just been turned out. Yes, he had. Where do you go from here? Well, I guess that the thing that Shakir would probably want to do first would be to go and kind of secure the things that he knows actually are his. Admittedly, that's a relatively small task compared to what all is in his apartment and i suppose he would take his granddad's pistols and give them to his sister basically uh you know if i'm not back in a year go ahead and give these back to dad all right uh well she's got people waiting there to make sure that you don't take anything that belongs to the family company well the, the suite actually there's a box you put them back and put the box on the counter, close it, lock it, hand the key to the guy who's waiting by the door. All right, then I guess he'll just leave it as a letter or something. And you're escorted to the lift, and the lift lets you down. And you see the sunset peak, the tallest peak in that western range, pinked with the last setting rays of the sun, before the rising mists off the firth swallow up the lift and you descend through the clouds for a good 30 seconds before they break and you can see that night has already fallen on lower bailey mina all of the lights are spread out all around you like a galaxy of stars themselves and once you pass the third layer of the sky car lines um there are no more down underneath that now you're in around the trains so when the lift lets out it is on the 35th level, still high enough that if you fell off a balcony, you'd die, um, but pretty low, pretty down low. The air is thick and misty here, and smells of the firth. Delilah. Yes? You were expecting him half an hour ago. That's not going to do. He's quite distinctive around these parts. Someone must have seen him. Let's go talk to that buster conductor that likes Delilah so much. Well, there's a bit of chit-chat back and forth, a little light telling jokes and laughing at jokes. And, oh, it's been a while. And how's your sister, Megan? And, uh, you know, so Megan tells him how her sister is. Oh, that's a good girl. And he, uh, I, you know, since he's been offering you lollipops since you're 12, you know. Uh, no, he hasn't seen anybody like that. Oh, look, look at that fella right there. That looks like the fella you're talking about. Fair enough, this lift comes down to the platform, the doors open, and then the steel cage opens up inside, and there, framed in a square of light, holding a duffel bag with a few spare swords jammed in in various places, is Shakir. I'm gonna make an insight roll to base Delilah's reaction off of. Alright, please do. Well, I've rolled a 19, so that's a total of 27. All right, Shakir, how you feeling, man? Oh, he's a mess. Um, he's not probably going to. Uh, he's not going to show it. Uh, he he was a soldier after all. If nothing else, he's he's learned how to compartmentalize. But he has basically had everything pulled out from under him, and he's not a hundred percent sure on what his next move is. Except that he knows there's someone who 
he owes some violence to, and it's just kind of waiting to get out. Okay, so Delilah, you know, uh, before the, the other day when you had dinner with him, and he was kind of stiff, but like relaxing? Yes. There is no relaxing. He is entirely rigid, ramrod straight, except when he moves, which is fluid. So he's like uh, very tense and coiled. And when he steps out to move, his motions are fluid. And then he stops and he's rigid and does not move. Right? The door is closed behind him and the lift goes back upwards. He's very obviously like... You get the impression that anybody who wanted to have a fight with him right now would not have a hard time starting one. When she first catches sight of him, Delilah smiles bright enough to light up the platform. But it fades a little bit as she sees what's going on. By the time she says something to him, she's pretty quiet. Shakir? Yes. Come on, we'll get you settled in, and then I've got a few ideas on where we can start. Shakir looks like he's mulling this over. Probably you can... Probably it's e- it's easy enough to read that he's he's a little trepidatious about this, but he's he's coming to the conclusion that he has nowhere else really to turn. So he kind of gives up, nods, and and falls in with her. At this point, the synchronicities have just happened too many times for it to be anything other than the right thing. It, you know. Just go with it. You haven't been hurt so far. And uh, the only times you've come close to getting hurt, you've been able to handle yourself. So what's life without risk? Yeah, let's go. And at this point, he doesn't really have anything around him to lose. So the buster at this level is uh, pretty... Well, it's not what you're used to. It's not the silent, well-made, brand-new modern cars that run on Arcanite. No, these are like just, these are old steam trains drawn along on trestle tracks. And uh, they chug along, throwing off all kinds of steam into the night. Looking out the window of the car, you see that the city stretches up. Like, you've never really seen the towers from below at night. And down here, in the dark, man, they are huge. And they blot out great big strips of the sky. The sky, by the way, is only visible through little holes and spots here and there, little places where the light gets in. Very, very buried. Although you know you're outside, it also feels like you're indoors. The train pulls in to the Iron Fire Bramble platform. Here we are. It's not quite what you're used to, but. Delilah actually looks a little nervous, which is a bit of a rare thing for her, particularly in the Bramble, but leads the way off the platform and into the maze. Make a perception check, Shakir. Uh, That's an 11. Well, at some point, you think you've passed the same place three times, but no, because the doorknobs were different, but no, you don't have no idea where you are. Not a clue. Sooner or later, you're standing in front of a three-story house, which is uh, tall and skinny, and uh, sits between two, like, 
light manufactory residence brownstones on either side. So Shakir will do his best to try and figure out where he is in relationship to everything else, but obviously he is not doing a great job. Nope, there's a great big steel beam there that's as wide as a street, and it's holding up, uh, like, it's bracing towers, it's bracing some towers so that they don't sway too much in the wind. That's the biggest amount of steel you've seen in one place, and it's all rusting, and there you can see that there are crews, even now, in the night, hanging off Bozen's chairs, painting it. The city boils and steams and fumes and smokes and rattles and hums. And uh, with the bump of her hip and a click of the mechanism in the lock, the sticky door to Delilah's place opens up and a warm golden light spills out into the street. Delilah, why don't you give him a tour? Come on in. Uh, over to the right, we've got the dining room. There's a sitting room to the left. The kitchen's in the back. Uh, be careful about the darker boards. Most of them squeak, and a couple of them are trapped. Did you say trapped? Yeah, you can't be too careful. I'll show you where they all are, though. She leads him back toward the kitchen. And she's been doing this long enough that no matter where her foot falls, it seems to be silent. The first noise she makes is bumping the kettle over the hob with her hip. Shakir, make a deck save. 24. All right. So, really, this is just one of the, well, this is one of the dances they taught you. It's the marimba. So, by putting your feet exactly how you would if you were dancing a marimba, you get down the hall. Dancing, you might wonder? Well, of course. You never give a sword to a man who can't dance. And, uh, we've all seen how good Shakira is with that sword. So, it should go without saying he knows how to move his feet. Despite yourself, there's a light grin on your face by the time you reach the kitchen. Um... When you get there, it's like a step after Delilah, and you see her bump the kettle over the fire. And uh, this kitchen is really well appointed. There's like herbs, garlic, and every like everything everywhere. The place smells like good food. He takes a moment to breathe it in. Um, he'll look over at Delilah. For now, I am all right. Thank you. Just let me know, especially before you go digging through the tea basket. That's not all tea. I feel these warnings will eventually cease to surprise me. Maybe so. Anyway, back through here. It's the stairs. Skip the third one. Delilah, perception check. That's another twenty-seven. He uh, he's pretty light on his feet when he when he pops over the step, and uh, when he does, his cloak kind of flares for a second out over his armaments, and you can see that he wears the 
He wears his dagger frog with his sword scabbard in a recognizable style. She makes a note of that and leads him on up the stairs. There's another hallway, uh, and she points out uh, two bedrooms and a bathroom on that level, uh, none of which belong to her. Well, the bathroom she uses, but uh, she mentions Tiki and Luca. They're not home right now, though. Do not wish to impose on you or your housemates if it is easier that I find lodgings elsewhere. I wouldn't hear of it. Just one more flight. Uh, skip the fourth and ninth stairs on this one. That lightness on his feet, and yep. Yep, that's a, that's Perjoni. That's a Perjoni rig. He's got it. He's got his weapons rig Perjoni style. Shakir's starting to get a little distracted, as if there's something that he's trying to bring to mind, but can't quite place it. Something about where he is, or something is triggering some manner of memory. Well, roll a perception check, with advantage. 23. When you crest the top of the stairs, you are... Assaulted with various scents, um, as of perfumes and essential oils. And Delilah, it seems, likes her smelly liquids because uh, the place smells like that wonderful combination of a, a curated collection of scents. You know what I mean? You have a memory of your old sword master and how sometimes when you would come for your lesson, there would be a scent in the air, sweat. It was sweat, but commingled with a million other wonderful smells. Now, your sense of smell has blunted somewhat in the intervening years as you have tried tobacco and various smokable intoxicants and various drinkable intoxicants and ate a lot of dirt in your training and lots of gun smoke and other assorted scents. But this one combination of smells, well, it was distinctive, it was beautiful, you've never smelled anything like it since until now. Miss Delray. Please, Delilah, but yes? I notice you wear a sword. Who was your trainer? Master Leandro Ferrero. Probably the first genuine laugh Shakir has given, maybe since he's met her? <laughs> eh. Strange. Such a large city. Such a small world. Man, if it wasn't for weird luck, you'd have no luck at all. You too, huh? Yes. Uh, you're least one of your perfumes i always i could always remember it when i walked into master leandro's home for training uh, it seems i was the lesson after you well that hasn't happened in a few years it looks like delilah may be blushing 
I'm, I'm flattered that you'd remember. There's only one I've been wearing that long. Come on, I'll show you. She uh, heads down the hall, pointing at a few boards as she steps over them, and leads him into her bedroom, which is reasonably comfortable, a little messy. She bustles about and starts tidying immediately. And Shakir does the thing where you try to take in the room without noticing uh, what what is being done to tidy it up. Yeah, looking where she's not cleaning, right? <laughs> like lots of examinations of the crown molding and the, the, yes. the tops of the corners of the room and whatnot. I say, is that an electric fan? How novel. The vanity's fairly neat. He can look there. It's full of interesting trinkets. Half of which will probably kill him. I didn't say he could touch anything. There are several clothes horses and valets all around the all around the room, um, all of which appear to contain at least seven percent dagger by weight. Because Delilah herself is seven percent dagger by weight, by her own admission. After tossing a bundle out into the hallway, kicking it to the side. Uh, Delilah heads back over to the vanity table and picks up a, a small, dark-colored bottle. It's this one. Shakir will lean over to lightly sniff at it. There it is. And we go back now to that very sweaty training hall. Keep your guard up, Delilah. That's all for today. Next time, don't come tired. I have no patience for half measures. Okay? Yes, Master Leandro. Okay. Go clean yourself up. My next student is coming in five minutes. I need you gone by then. You caught a look at him that day. You saw him once before that day. You saw him then. You think you can remember now he was like what, fourteen? No mustache, no beard, he's nowhere near as well groomed as he is now. Like he had that uh like that messy teenage hair and you know, sort of feckless look on his face and everything about him spoke of money, but like, you know, just one of those feckless rich kids like you'd see hanging around the plazas up in the upper elevations. This guy gets to rush you out. But now, Delilah, you remember seeing him. You've seen him before. What a change in him. Very different than the man who sits there with you now. Shakir, you just like that day is that that day is a blip in your memory. You weren't into it at all that day. And uh, so it's not a memorable episode. You didn't see her go. She snuck out the back. But still. Anyway, don't... Don't poke too hard at anything on the vanity unless I've told you what it is. But uh, otherwise, it's fairly comfortable in here. I'm a light sleeper and rely on that to keep me safe. Mr. Delilah, I would never think of invading your privacy. Oh, it's fine. I can sleep in nurse's room if it's that much trouble. 
Shakir is not entirely sure what uh what to uh make of this. It doesn't seem like she's too eager to leave the room, but will if she's asked. Are you suggesting I stay here? Well, of course. That's where you put a guest up, isn't it? It seemed to me that you had other rooms. But they belong to other people. Like I said, I don't mind, or I've got half a dozen couches. I would be happy to stay on one of those. Absolutely not. You're much too tall. Besides, I was reminded recently that's no way to treat a guest. Wow, but a willpower. Normally, they're banging the door down. Okay. And normally, they're not in her bedroom, either. No. Delilah heads out toward the hallway and scoops up her bundle of whatever it was. I should take the wash down anyway. Let me know if you need anything. As you wish. Thank you. I can just see her walking away from this with her laundry under her arm. Her expression just totally like, are you fucking kidding me? And that same perfume trailing behind her. It's the next morning. Breakfast has been served and the broadsheets are being read. Delilah looks entirely comfortable, freshly washed, barefoot, and sipping on her coffee. Uh, Shakir will come down. He looks as if he is ready to go about his day. Certainly he is not acting as if he's going to be lounging around the, the house or anything. Good morning, Shakir. What do you normally take for breakfast? Please do not go to any efforts on my part. Uh, what do you normally have? She looks a little wistful for a second. Well, normally, anything Ursa feels like cooking, and I'm glad for it. Uh, today, I have toast. That will do. She cuts off a few more slices of bread and halves of croissant and puts them all in by the fire to toast. So there's a few ways we can start this out. Do go on. So I know they'll say on the street that Gallia Despard has quite the menagerie, but the truth is he can't run that himself. Not many people are willing to put up with him. Somebody's got to find his talent and recruit it. Who do you suggest we start with? Well, I've got four names, three if I'm honest. Because yeah. I don't think Marietta would do that work. Salmon's a little shifty, and Salmon's the sort of person who would have more work for Arabed than Giggles. So if it ain't Marietta and it ain't Salmon, that's one of two, and it probably... This is one of those times that insurance is pretty easy to get. Despard won't flinch, but the gnome will. Runelanders was recorded live and curated by DM Mad Adam. All of the usual people played all of the usual roles, and you can find out more about who they are, who their characters are, and all the little Easter eggs that I scatter through these episodes at runelanders.com. Like what you hear? Tell your friends. If you don't, let us know why. 
Find us on Twitter at CastTheRunes. Send an email to runelanders at gmail.com or find us on Facebook at RuneLanders. Next time on RuneLanders, we're going to have some wicked awesome fun. You have to check it out. We're back in two weeks. We'll see you then. I'm DM Mad Adam. And I am DM Good Guy, reminding you to roll high and don't die. Till next time, take good care. Thank <laughs> you.